Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians, there in the New Testament. And those of you who maybe take notes in your Bible and, and write down when I preach different texts, you might remember this text from New Year's Day of this year. Uh, and that was a smaller service, obviously, on a holiday. Uh, we walked through this text together, and some of that truth will overlap, but the Lord really put this on my heart. I actually wrote this message before I left uh, a couple weeks ago, and the Lord has just really just been uh, driving this home as I've been thinking about you guys and praying about this message, so I'm excited to, to share this text with you today. Uh, I want to just thank you for your prayers over the last week. It has been a, a really fun, uh, exciting, tiring, yes, uh, week, uh, but it was a, a fruitful week as well. Last uh, Sunday morning, I had the privilege of being at Voth Baptist Church, which is a church in Southeast Texas, uh, a pretty small church, and uh, our connection to that church is, is really multifaceted. The pastor there uh, is, is a very special person to my family. Mallory, uh, when she was right out of high school, uh, needed a place to stay, and they took her in, so kind of family to us, and then I had the privilege of being their pastor's pastor, and the Lord, through teaching, preaching, talking, just the Lord working in his life, called him to leave our church and go be a bivocational pastor at both Baptist Church. And then in 2017, I know this is wild, it just keeps going, but in 2017, uh, Hurricane Harvey uh, devastated their whole little community, flooded almost everything, including the church. And Crossroad Church sent a group down to stay with Cornerstone Baptist Church, which was the church I pastored at the time. And we helped uh, kind of get their journey of rebuilding this church back together. Uh, and while y'all were there, you also decided to steal a pastor from Southeast Texas. So it's fine. Uh, they're still a little bitter, but that's all right. Uh, uh, anyway, so I walk into that church last Sunday morning, and it was the first time that I've stepped foot on that campus uh, since it was mudded out. And, you, you know, if you've ever experienced this, some of y'all I know have done some mission trips like this where basically everything from about four to six feet down has been stripped out of this building. And it was uh, a really tough thing to see, but there was a lot of hope and a lot of excitement uh, six years ago when I was there. But I walked in, and the first thing I said to their pastor was, I like what you've done to the place because it looked uh, much, much different. And they're a church that did not even have insurance, a small a little church building. They didn't have any kind of insurance, yet the Lord provided, and uh, their, their auditorium was beautiful, and you can see that God is doing some really cool things there. So it was a joy just to be able to, to share with them that we as a church love them, and we're honored to be just a small part of that process because we were there for a week, uh, and, and you know we really didn't get it all, that, but by and large, the Lord just used us as a part of that story. So it was cool to be there with them. And then on Monday through Friday, I was preaching at a camp for about 400, I think there were about 420 with adults and leaders, high school and middle school students for their uh, summer camp there in the area, and it was just a joy to be able to preach the word to that group. Uh, it was hot because it's in Texas and it's summer, uh, but it was made even more difficult by the fact that on night one, the air conditioner was not working in the worship space. So you can imagine in a very small room that really, if a fire marshal had walked in, we were breaking some code. Uh, 400 teenagers in a room that was about 90 degrees. Uh, it was a very difficult. I, I really wish the Lord would have just led me to transition to talking about hell instead of uh, the passage I was doing. But 
uh, didn't end up doing that. Uh, but over the course of that week, I was able to share the messages that I've shared with you over the past month. The, the series Seek uh, was written. The Lord gave me freedom to write that with you guys, but also with this camp in mind. So I was able to preach the same messages that the Lord had used here. And uh, the Lord certainly used those texts in a mighty way down there. Uh, over the course of the week, we, we learned Friday morning, kind of when we gathered everything up and we're looking at it, that uh, 17 students had given their lives to Christ over the course of that week. And we were so excited about that. And then during the kind of Friday morning message, which is almost just kind of a, hey, see you guys later type of thing. Uh, I even, if you're on social media, you saw I made the video and said, 17 people have gotten saved. And we, you know, talked and then we went through another passage there and talked a little bit. And over the course of that time, at the very end of the camp, the director got up and said, man, it's just been such a good week. Man, 17 people got saved, and two youth pastors raised their hand and said, actually, this, this guy just gave his life to Christ. This girl just gave... So even on the last day, kids are getting saved. So as of now, we know of 19 students who gave their lives to Christ, and it's just awesome to be able to... Yeah, we can celebrate that. So, so it was a, a really fun time, and it was an encouraging time for me. I'm, I'm physically pretty worn out, but at the same time, uh, I, I am renewed in other ways. Many of my friends were there at that camp. Uh, the, the long story short is that uh, they used the same camp pastor two years in a row is what they like to do. So uh, last year, they had a guy who, uh, if you're familiar with Matt Chandler, a pastor of a large, large church in Dallas, a guy who's written some books with Matt, and they had this guy booked to do their camp. He cancels in April. And they were without a camp speaker. They asked four or five other guys. They all said no. Uh, so last resort, they said, well, I guess we'll call Rusty. Because uh, uh, that was this the, last, the last chance. I, I called myself the Tony Kukoc of that uh, camp because I was the sixth man. And that's a 90s Bulls reference. So you're welcome, two of you. Uh, so anyways... Uh, last year, so last year was my first year there to, to preach the camp, and, and uh, they said, hey, why don't you come back and do it again this year? So uh, I was really thankful to get to do that, but in going to do that camp, I was heartbroken because I knew just looking at the calendar that I was going to end up missing one of my favorite events of the year, and that was the Yes Picnic. So our missions team and the trustees, they said, yeah, go, go do that camp because we know it's you know, a time where we see a harvest and uh, we're all about souls being saved. Uh, but I knew I was going to miss this week, but I got to tell you, I'm so encouraged as your pastor to see how incredibly well the Yes Picnic went. Uh, we had a great crowd here and, and a great crowd of our church coming to serve those who were here. And uh, I know there were probably some new connections y'all were able to make, and that's always one of the special things that comes as you serve together. You get to meet people maybe you didn't know. And, and we had just an incredible crew. Our missions team, as always, does a great job. The, the kitchen crew cooking, it was just everything was absolutely incredible. I love seeing those pictures and, and love seeing what God did. And I just want to tell you, church, I love being your pastor and I love seeing seeing what God is doing as we come together to reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus. And uh, it's, it's really, I, I, like, again, I missed being here, but at the same time, it was kind of fun to watch God work from a distance and uh, also humbling to see how unimportant I am, all right? That's fine. It's fine. Like texting people, how did it go? And they're like, leave us alone. We're doing this thing. Like, all right, cool. I'll just, I'll just back away slowly, right? Uh, but it went so well and just so thankful for you, and I just want you to know how much I love you. Uh, and, and to transition into the sermon, I, I want to tell you, as much as I love you, my love for you really pales in comparison to the way that the Apostle Paul 
loved this church in Thessalonica that he's writing this letter to. If you were to read, that was a smooth transition, and we're off and running, all right? I was like, enough about me, let's get to the text. All right, so in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of 1 Thessalonians, you're going to see just tons of encouragement. Like, Paul was encouraged by what God was doing in this church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica is the capital city of the region known as Macedonia, and if you wanted to go to Acts chapter 17, you could see this uh, story of this church that started as Paul was ministering to the Jewish people who were there. Uh, They were saved, and they started this church, and many, many really good things are happening, and that's what you sense as you're reading through this letter. But in the midst of this encouragement, what you're going to see is that even in talking about how awesome they're doing, there's going to be a challenge that comes, and that challenge is really this. He essentially says, you're doing a great job, you're doing awesome, you're doing well, but keep going. Keep going. You're doing great, but you need to keep it up. And I want to just tell you, I think that's a needed word for us today. Have you ever noticed in seasons where things seem to be going really well and really smooth and everything is awesome and we just served a few hundred people here this week and everything's great and we're all riding the high. Have you ever noticed that when things seem to be really smooth and good in your life, that's when we can kind of end up getting complacent in our faith and in our pursuit of Christ? In some weird way, you know, we've talked about trials and those things lately and uh, when we were studying the book of James and one of the blessings of trials is that it pushes us closer to Jesus. And none of us want to, none of us are like, hey, I'd really love, I'd love to go through something difficult right now, but isn't it in those moments that, man, your faith is, that faith muscle is worked in a unique way. Yet it's when we're going through smooth and easy times that if we're not careful, we can get lax and we can really get lazy in our pursuit of Christ. And Paul, knowing the good work that God was doing in Thessalonica, did not want that to happen to these brothers and sisters. So he writes them a letter, and you're going to see this call to continue in what God is doing. So he's encouraging them, yet also challenging them to keep moving forward, to continue to press on in the faith. So as we celebrate, and rightfully so, 19 kids in Southeast Texas who have given their lives to Christ, what you and I recognize today and what we know is that that's really just the starting point of their life, isn't it? The Christian life, if we're not careful, again, you've heard me say this many times, but we make salvation the finish line when actually it's the starting line of the Christian life. So we're going to discover in this text a call to keep going, to keep pressing into Jesus every day. So with all that in mind, let's uh, read this text. We're going to pray together, and then we'll dive in. 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll start in verse 1. We're going to read the first 12 verses. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. 
about brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, do this even more. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for the clarity. Lord, it's just, I love just getting to roll your word out and talk through it together. This is so clear, and we just get to understand it and grab hold of it. So, Lord, would you, even in the midst of, I think, a very clear text, would you even give us greater clarity by this time of teaching? Would your Holy Spirit just empower me to communicate your truth in a way that we can grab it, Lord, and hold on to it and actually live it out? Thank you for this call, and I pray that we would wrap our lives around it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if I could give you this morning a detailed description of the Lord's will for your life, would you want that deal today? Would you take a personal, detailed description of God's will for your life? I think most of you would. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, uh, but I think you would. And, and I've got great news for you. For a small gift to the Crossroad Building Fund, today uh, I, I can give you God's will for your life. And I want you to see that this is abundantly clear. And, and I'll just tell you, the, the truth is, the vast majority of conversations that I have with brothers and sisters for counseling, appointments in my office, over cups of coffee somewhere, the vast majority of these conversations really revolve around that question. What is God's will for my life? What, what is it that God wants from me? What is it that God wants me to do? How does God want me to conduct myself in this situation? How can I make sure that I'm right in the center of God's will? This is what most conversations end up really coming down to at the end of the day. Discerning God's will is a, is a complicated matter, isn't it? It's not easy. But the good news today is that I can tell you exactly what God's will for you is. In fact, better than me telling you, why don't we let the Bible tell us? Look at verse 3 again. For this is God's will. <laughs> there you go. The ESV literally says this is God's will for you. And here's what it is. Sanctification. Your sanctification. This is as clear as it gets. God's will for you is sanctification. If you're looking for it, you can stop. The search is over. This is what God desires in your life. Sanctification. Now you might say, well, that's cool. Now can you tell me what sanctification is, right? It's a big churchy word, but it's a word that the Lord has really brought to bear here at Crossroad a lot over the last couple years, isn't it? We've talked about it extensively through the book of Colossians and even as we've walked through James. Here's what sanctification means. Sanctification is simply the process of God sanctifying us. And sanctifying us is essentially purifying us, making us holy. Sanctifi sanctification is the process of becoming holy, becoming the people that God is calling us to be. And how is it that you and I become holy? Well, if we're not careful, we immediately start saying, I got to not do this, I got to start doing this, I got to do all these things. And we make it into rules and commands because that's how we kind of work with our Western mindset. But here's how you become holy you become holy by becoming more like Jesus. Jesus is the only one who ever hit holiness out of the park. You know what I'm saying? He is the only one who ever lived a perfect and holy life. So if you and I are going to live a holy life, you and I have to walk with and live like Jesus lived. 
And how do we do that? We do that by walking with Jesus. So here's just a simple way we can define sanctification. Sanctification is becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. That's what sanctification is. Growing more into the likeness of Christ. Every day as we walk with Him, we should be growing in Him. Growing in our sanctification. This is what Paul means when he uses this theological word, sanctification. And as we continue in this text, what we're going to see are really three ways that this sanctification ought to be happening in your life. How is it that we experience our holiness? How is it that we experience becoming more like Jesus? Well, we have three calls that I want us to see. First, we see a call to keep growing. To keep growing. I haven't seen these slides in two weeks. That was awesome. Uh, thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, I forgot that we did that, so that's fun. It's been a long week, guys. Can I just be impressed with Jessica's work for a second, all right? Keep growing. We, we see this call twice, and here's where we see it. Look in verse 1. Uh, we see it there saying, as you are doing. So, again, Paul says, hey, you've received instruction. You've heard how to live in a way that pleases the Lord, and you're doing it. But what does he say after that? Do this even more. And look at verse 10. It says, in fact, you are doing this. So in this call to love that we'll get to in a moment, he says, you're doing this. But we encourage you, do this even more. So Paul doesn't say, hey, way to go, guys. You've really nailed this whole following Jesus thing. You're doing so good. So why don't you just chill out and judge everybody else who hasn't reached this level of spiritual superiority? No, that's not what he says, is it? Instead, he says, you're growing, you're responding to the Lord. God is doing a good work in you. And rather than that, just making them, because I'm sure, listen, doesn't it feel good to be affirmed? And there's biblical precedent and reason to affirm the people of God. Man, I want to tell you, like I told you earlier, you guys did amazing work this week, and I love you guys, and I'm so proud of our church. I'm so thankful for what we're doing. But in the midst of that call, Paul says, but keep going, <laughs> keep pressing forward, keep growing. Friends, I want to tell you, the moment you start to think you've arrived in your Christian walk is the moment that you start moving backward in the Christian life. The moment you start to think, I did it and I'm there, is the moment you start to get further away from Christ. The call to follow Jesus is a call to a lifetime of sanctification. It's what theologians would refer to as progressive sanctification. It, listen, when you got saved, the Lord didn't just zap you and make you immediately perfect and holy. If you've been saved for more than two minutes, you know that's true, right? Because we are not perfect. We fail on a regular basis. But instead, every day as we walk with Jesus, He is sanctifying us. He is growing us. He is making us who it is He wants us to be. As uh, author Eugene Peterson referred to sanctification as a long obedience in the same direction. So whether you've been a, a Christian for three days or 90 years, the reality is you ought to be able to identify areas of your life where God is currently molding and shaping you into who it is he wants you to be. So, so let me just ask you, this is just between you and the Lord. I want to ask you this question. I want you just to let the Lord search your heart. Are you growing in Christ today? Are you truly growing in him? Is he working in you to make you who it is that he wants you to be? 
We've got to be honest, this is pretty hard for us to do in the culture in which we live. We have a world that is constantly seeking to mold and shape us into its image, not the image of Christ. So, so here's what I want to tell you. A lot of you are, are being in this process of being molded and shaped and influenced, but rather than sanctification, you're like doing worldification. You are growing in the ways of the world. The world is molding and shaping your identity and who you are, and you just want to have a little Jesus sprinkled in, but the call to follow Christ is not a call to live your own life and have a little bit of Jesus. The call to sanctification is a call to abandon your life and let Christ mold and shape every aspect of who you are. And the moment we get complacent in that, we let the world mold and shape us instead of Christ. So are you actively growing in Christ today? I think it's easy for us to lament our culture and talk about how bad the world is today, and, and certainly those things are true. But did you know that we are far from the first culture to love sin and darkness? Do you know that our culture is far from the first group to ever be at this point? I, I do think it's, it's so easy to say this is as bad as it's ever been before. But it's like history. Study it a little bit and you'll realize the world's been a bad place for a long time, right? And especially here in Thessalonica, the Greek-Roman culture that they were in provided a totally different sexual ethic than the rest of the world. Note that the very first thing Paul is going to address is sexual immorality. Paul knew that this was an everyday battle for the folks in Thessalonica especially for many of the people who were believers who had been called out of those lifestyles to follow Christ. So Paul says, control yourselves. Don't live like the rest of the world. Verse 7 says, for God hasn't called us to impurity, but live in holiness. Friends, growing in Christ necessarily means that you and I deal with sin in our lives. And here's what I want to tell you. A sexual immorality, that, that's something that even our culture obviously struggles with, mass sexual confusion. We've idolized sex to the point that it has confused our culture, and it has us in a weird, wonky place. And, and even to get sex right, honestly, we have to put it back in the, the compartment that the Lord has made it to be in. Like, even a lot of Christian teaching on sex gets really weird because it still kind of keeps sex in its form. And it's like, well, as long as we do it this way, and it's still kind of like, why did God give us that? That's a whole other message for a, a different time. In fact, you can go to our archives and find the most awkward couple weeks of sermons that I've ever preached in my life. <laughs> but our church actually grew pretty significantly in that two or three month stretch, so I don't know. Uh, and it wasn't just multiplication nine months later. I don't really know, uh, but God, God did work. Sorry about that. Uh, my kids are in here too. It's fine. We'll just have some conversations later. But, but here's the thing. Paul is addressing sex here, but I, but I think you could put a lot of different sins and struggles in the blank here where it's easy for us to be molded and shaped by the world and the world's values instead of the values of Christ. Things we've talked about like materialism, the idea of the American dream and success at all costs. Things the world says, chase this, pursue this. This is what your life is to be about. And the Lord would say, no, life isn't about these things. It's about these things. So are you dealing with sin in your life? Are you letting the world shape you? Or are you letting Christ and his word shape you? We've got to deal with sin in our lives. As we walk with Christ, there is a natural putting off of the things of the world and putting on the things of Christ. 
Ephesians 5, Colossians 3 that we studied a few weeks ago, Galatians 5, they all talk about putting away the flesh and the things of the world and putting on Christ, the fruit of the Spirit that He develops as we walk with Him. So let me just ask you honestly again, let the the Spirit search your heart. Are, Are you actively working to put away sin in your life today? Are you actively working to put away sin? And here's what I I really believe. Every believer ought to be able to answer that question. Now, I'm not saying that I ought to be able to walk up to a random one of you and be like, what sin are you putting away right now, brother? Like, that's kind of weird. But my discipleship groups, we ought to be able to ask that of one another. There should be people in your life that say, what areas are you growing in? What's the struggle in your life that you're giving to the Lord? And we ought to be able to answer that question. We ought to be able to say, man, man, God's dealing with me about my pride right now. I just see it rear its ugly head in so many situations. So the Lord is working in that. He's convicting me of that. And I'm repenting of that. And he's giving me his humility. And I'm able to walk in that. But it's a struggle. But I'm working on it right now. What is the Lord challenging you on lately? What is it that you're growing in? And I think sometimes when I have those kind of conversations with people, they look at me like I'm crazy. But if you're walking with the Lord, you should never stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, I want to warn you, brothers and sisters, you're in danger. You're in danger. God's will for you is to keep growing. And part of growing is putting away sin, not being shaped by the world and the culture, but instead being shaped by Christ. Not only do we see this call to keep growing, but this text continues in verses 9 and 10 with a call to keep loving. We see a call to keep growing, and part of this growth, I think, is this next call, a call to keep loving. Verses 9 and 10 say about brotherly love. You don't need me to write to you because you're taught by God how to love one another. Specifically, I want to tell you guys, God is talking about love for one another in the body of Christ. I think a lot of times when we talk about love, we naturally think of those outside of the church. We think of the world around us. Are we loving people well? And certainly there is biblical precedent. You ought to be a person who exudes the love of Christ to everybody that you encounter, even those outside of Christ. Yet the reality is much of what the Bible talks about when it talks about love is loving the one another's. There are 59 one another statements in the New Testament. The Bible says, hey, this is how we show the world. This is what Jesus himself said. And this is how the world will know you are my disciples, your love for one another. Isn't that wild? This is how the the world is going to know you belong to Jesus. Not because we did the yes picnic. Not because we have great, not because convoy, we're going to fill a bunch of backpacks. Now, all those things are well and good, but we tend to think because of the things we're doing for our community, they're going to see that we know Jesus. But Jesus said, if you really want your community to notice that you belong to Christ, it's going to happen by the way you love each other in the body. I'd rather just fill up a backpack than have to try to love you. Can we just be real? Right? Like, like you guys checked in on Wednesday, put in a couple hours of service, felt real good about it, posted on social media and say, thank you, Lord. Wow, love my church. But that daily walking with one another and having to learn to love each other, isn't that hard? Because then you actually have to know each other. 
And then when you know each other, you know that you're not all normal, right? We start to see each other's quirks. We start to see each other's struggles. Y'all, it's just easier to keep distant. I mean, we know this. Why do young married couples struggle? Let's just be honest. They didn't know what they were getting into. <laughs> then all of a sudden, you know, especially, you know, if they didn't, you know, listen, some, some houses like ours, there's 12 people living in that house. Not really, but it feels like that. I have four kids, right? But man, you, you have those families where it's like grew up an only child or one of a couple children, you know, had your own room and all that. And now all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, I have to live life with this person. And it's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging. Can I tell you, I think that same thing happens when God brings us into a church family. So here's what we've done. It's easier just not to have to love each other. So let's just come clock in on a Sunday, enjoy a message. We all went to church, then let's go eat some lunch somewhere and call it good. But we never actually become the body of Christ. We never actually become family. And to be real, it's easier that way. But the only way you're going to actually grow in Christ is to be family. But here's the bad news. Family's messy. I mean, think about it. Every, can I just tell you one thing that I have learned over the years of being a pastor when people come for counseling, want to talk to me about family issues and stuff like that? I have some good news. This is going to bring some of y'all some freedom. Every single family is weird and messed up. Can I just tell you that? Congratulations. And if your family, and trust me, I've had, we've had some of those couples in the past year too, said in the past, because anyway, so, so they thought their family was killing it. That's what made them the weird ones, <laughs> right? They thought they had it all together and, and it made them kind of weird and they didn't get along with anybody else. Like, listen, family is messy. Your family is not the only weird, messy family. All of us are. And, and that's the, the church family is gonna be messy. Have you read the New Testament, friends? These letters that Paul wrote, Thessalonians stands out in the sense that it doesn't have a whole lot of correction. This is one of the few letters Paul writes that is not correcting some wonky stuff that was happening in the church. Because when churches get together and really become family, things get messy and it can be awkward at times. So it's easy to say, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's just call this church and instead we'll be a business where we grow a big service and people really like the entertainment that we provide and everything's awesome and you can come and have a good time, check in and check out and everything is good. You get your little American spirituality and you go on about your merry life. The problem is you never actually grow in Christ. That's not what we're to be about. We're called to love one another. How is this love possible? Well, I would point you to what Paul said in verse 9. You yourselves are taught by God to love one another. This is something that the Lord teaches us. And I would link this love to our first truth, that as we grow in Jesus, love becomes a natural reality. We begin to love each other. Love for God should always lead to love for one another. We'll say that again. Love for God should always lead to love for one another. And let me just be real with you. This is blunt but needed. If your knowledge of God is not leading you to love for him and for others, you're not really growing. Do you know that you can grow a lot in knowledge but not actually grow in the Lord? It's possible. God's will is that you would know him and love him in such a way that it leads you to growing in your love for the one another's in your life. 
And all of this is going to culminate with a call that I think is so important today, and that call is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. In a world where it's so easy to get drawn off sides, and by whatever political fray is going on, the, the work drama in your life, whatever family squabble is going on, in the midst of a noisy culture and a crazy world where everyone's divided, everyone's mad about everything, look at what verse 11 says. Seek to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Did you know that was in the Bible? I'd like to quote that verse to a lot of preachers today. I'd like to quote that verse to a lot of Christians today. I'd like to quote that verse to a lot of churches today. I'd like to quote that verse to your pastor about once a week. I would love for this to be the VBS theme next year all across America. This is so countercultural, isn't it? This is the opposite of what we tend to do. Even people who are pursuing Christ, even now it seems like today we try to build a platform showing people how we're pursuing Christ. Seek to live a quiet life in a world that seems to be built on self-promotion and bigger and better, in a culture that's shouting, do more, be more, set some goals, go out there and make it happen, you can do it. The Bible says, here's a goal, sanctification. Sanctification. How about aiming to live a quiet life, steadily, faithfully growing in Jesus and his love for people? Live quietly so that you can make a difference. Isn't that pretty weird? This is very un-American, isn't it? Live quietly to make a difference. I'm convinced that the devil has made multiple generations be deceived into trying to make a difference by doing big things. Big things. And I'll tell you, I've been there not that long ago. If you would have asked me even five years ago, man, I would have told you I am ready to do big things for God. Big things. I'm not aiming small. We're going to do big things for God. And that sounds so good. I'm going to go and do big, epic, amazing things for the Lord. But, but as I grow in the Lord, I'm learning what I shared with you at our annual meeting back in January, that I don't want to do big things for God. I want to do things for a big God. The big things in my life, the little things in my life, and everything in between. I want to do those things for him. And oddly enough, in trying to do big things, I think we end up missing out on the little things that actually make the biggest difference in our lives. Dads, you want to change the world? Maybe it doesn't mean building a multi-million dollar business from the ground up and working 60-hour weeks to grind and make it happen. Maybe you change the world by coming home and loving on your kids and teaching them to love Jesus. Young adults, do you want to influence hundreds, thousands, millions on social media? Maybe if you invest your life in three or four, you know, the discipleship strategy that Jesus taught us, you could change your school, you could change your community, you could change your neighborhood in ways that will last beyond you. In our American culture, this bigger and better world of doing big things can actually stop us from doing the small things that actually help us keep going in life. 
the daily little things that nobody notices. We're all trying to, to take the big swings that we never actually do anything, the things that make us grow in sanctification. And, and I know I've shared this with you probably four or five times over the past five years, but I think it's so important to remember this. As a pastor doing so many funerals for so many different people, I've done funerals for young adults with large social media followings, influencers. I've done funerals for, for people who built multi-million dollar businesses. I've done funerals for people who climbed the corporate ladder and were at the very top of their profession, respected by all their peers. I've done funerals for people whose resumes were absolutely impressive. Their lives had really epic parts. And here's what I'm telling you this for. Because some of you are like, oh man, what are they going to say at my funeral? I'm just a nobody. Can I just tell you what happens at these funerals? As I'm reading through the accolades, as I'm reading through the epic, awesome things, can I tell you, most people in the room, because by the way, who's actually going to be in that room? Your family. Your church family. Maybe some, some friends from work. You know what they do as I'm reading all that stuff? I'm like, yeah, 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 okay. Can I tell you what really makes people lean in? When you talk about how they met their spouse. When you talk about how their kids perceive them and the interactions they had with their children. When you talk about their love for the Lord and how that spread to other people and changed the people around them. See, friends, the world has convinced us to chase after the big things, but I want to tell you, those big things are empty. The things that leave a legacy, the things that will create generational change in your home and your family, that you won't even see the acorns that turn into oaks in our world today, are the little things. A quiet life that makes a huge difference. Minding your own business by growing and loving Jesus more and more every day in a way that pours out into your family, that pours out into your church, and then pours out into your community. This is the call to keep your eyes on Jesus. And it's so wildly countercultural, isn't it? I love watching documentaries, watching sports documentaries in particular, right? And you see these moments and these epic things that are happening in people's lives and you're like you turn it off and you're like what am I doing man but then the realization hits in 15 years you're not even going to care who won the Super Bowl last year even you Chiefs fans <laughs> right in 15 years you know Mahomes will be walking out with a walker trying to throw you know they could play older and older these days right so he may still be out there but at the end of the day you're not going to be satisfied if last year was the last Super Bowl you got, if you're a Chiefs fan. You're going to say, man, it's been 20 years. Even the glory that comes with some of the biggest spectacles in our world where you think they can make a, a documentary with the music playing in slow motion and the glitter, you know, and the, the ticker tape falling and everything's excited and everything's great and it's like, wow, what an immortalized moment. No, it's not. He woke up the next morning with a headache. 
Well, probably the next night, because he probably stayed up all night. You know what I'm saying? Like, life goes on. And the things that we invest our lives pursuing that we think will make a difference at the end of the day are nothing but stuff that will be burned away when we stand before the Lord. So instead, the call is to keep your eyes on Jesus. And I want to finish this message by asking you to lift your eyes even higher. Yes, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus in these present moments and the way we live our life, but this chapter ends with a glorious reminder of the hope that's to come. I hope you have your Bibles open. I want to read verses 13 through 18. And don't panic, I'm not preaching a whole other section. We're almost done. Here's what the Word of God says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Y'all, in a world where it seems like living a quiet life doesn't really end up making much of a, a difference. In a world where it seems like we're losing and it's getting worse. What difference is my quiet life going to make? Paul here wants to remind us of the living hope we have, not only for today, but as the old hymn says, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Friends, the trumpet is going to sound. Those who are asleep are going to get up out of that grave, and we are going home. And I love that phrase, so we will always be with the Lord. And Paul says, encourage one another with that. You want to be encouraged today, friends? Here's the good news. We're always going to be with Jesus. He's here right now. He's here. He notices and sees your quiet life. It is making more of a difference than you could ever imagine. Quit trying to get ahead of your skis and do big things for the big God who's already doing a big thing in your life through the everyday, simple, small things that he has called you to do that make a big difference that will impact eternity. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Encourage one another with these words. If you have a friend who's feeling insignificant, can you just remind him, hey, uh, we're going to be caught up in the air with Jesus one day. We're not a big deal, but we serve the biggest deal of them all, and he's going to call us by name, and we're going to go be with him forever. You're always going to be with Jesus. That's why Fanny Crosby wrote, this is my story, this is my song praising my savior all the day long that's our blessed assurance friends that's the reason we have hope that's why we can seek to live a quiet life mind our own business and work with our own hands as the lord's commanded us to do keep growing keep loving and the way you can do that is by keeping your eyes on jesus lord thank you for your word thank you for such a clear and direct challenge. I, I love your word. Thank you for making your word so accessible. 
that my friends didn't even really need me today. Lord, we just were able to read it and see your truth in such a clear and compelling way. So, Lord, really just let this truth sink in in our hearts in a way that we can grab hold of it and live it out. Lord, we, we just love you and we just thank you for your goodness to us. God, we, we know that it's so easy to be molded and shaped by our world instead of molded and shaped by you. But I pray, God, that uh, we would indeed be a people who know and live your will. And your will is that we would be sanctified, that we would grow in you. So help us, God, to know what that looks like and to do it as your people. God, thank you.